Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. is Mike Fader. We're here on, uh, w- on PRN.FM every Monday at 4 p.m. And there are podcasts available afterwards. If there is anything that you hear on this broadcast that you don't like, well, you just have to accept it. That's part of being, you know, of growing older. <laughs> but if you want to comment on that, you can get in touch with me by going to my website, faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R, F-I-L-E-S dot com, and you can contact me. And also, while you're there, join my mailing list because I send out um, not infrequent mailings on various subjects um, that um, take my interest. There was a, um, a headline, uh, an article in the New York Times uh, about 
10 days ago, maybe it's close on two weeks, <clears throat> University of Miami creates chair for study of atheism. And um, there is more to it, of course, and the whole article explains various things about this. Uh, we have with us today to talk about this Professor Harvey Siegel, who is a professor in the philosophy department of the University of Miami. Hello. Yes, hello. Uh, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me give you a brief biography here. Uh, Professor Siegel has written five books, 200 articles in epistemology, which is the study of how we know things. What is epistemology? Well, the theory of knowledge. The theory of knowledge. How, how it is developed, right. where it comes from. What, well, that's more psychology. It's, oh. what, what is it? What is knowledge? Okay. What are its component parts, like justification, truth? That sort of thing. Uh, okay. Um, also, um, he has written uh, these books and articles also about the philosophy of science and the philosophy of education. Philosophy of education. He was the chair of the philosophy department at uh, Miami for 11 years. And here's the first paragraph of this article. With an increasing number of Americans leaving religion behind, the University of Miami received a donation in late April from a, there's not necessarily a connection between these two things, but uh, they received a, a donation in late April from a wealthy atheist to endow what it says is the nation's first academic chair for their study of atheism, humanism, and secular ethics. First of all, as far as uh, academic terms are concerned, a chair, that's not a separate department that would be in a, in a particular department, right? Well, it's... Uh First, it's not a department. It's a it's a it's a dedicated faculty line that is endowed, which means some of the money for it is um, uh, gifted to the university, who then draws uh, interest from that in order to pay for the salary and expenses of the chairholder. Mm -hmm. So it's a faculty position, but it's an endowed faculty position. But it's not in the philosophy or religion department or anything like that? Well, it could have been, and ultimately it will be, but it will be in some department or other. But the donor, Louis Apagnani, uh, wanted it to be interdisciplinary, so he gave the gift to the College of Arts and Sciences, and the college, under the direction of the dean, will put together a uh, interdisciplinary search committee with members from all the relevant departments, mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll try to find the best person we can find. Maybe we should define some terms, because um, <clears throat> I don't think everybody always understands or necessarily even agrees on what these terms mean. Uh, let's just go over them. Atheism is? Uh, the the do doctrine, if you like, or the belief that there is no God. So you're an atheist if you think there is no God. There's uh, no such thing. And in what, these days, there's a popular word called spirituality. People say, I'm not religious, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm spiritual. I have a sense of, uh, of spirituality. Uh, would you right. make any distinctions there, or is it... Well, sure. I think a lot of people do make distinctions there. And uh, one, in principle, one could be an atheist and yet be a spiritual person. But then it's a little unclear what that means, what it is to be spiritual. So if you think something like, uh, well, there are forces in the universe that, um, that we don't understand but we acknowledge, 
then uh, it's a little unclear how that's different from uh, from uh, theism. Mm-hmm. Part of the part of the thing is if you're if you just stick with spirituality, then you're not really saying anything about what you take God the word to mean. Mm-hmm. In which in which case you might be spiritual and a theist, or you might be spiritual and an atheist. So spirituality is some something vaguer and not identical with uh, with theism. Well, while we're at it, uh, there's always these arguments about um, you know uh, separation of church and state, and people go back to the uh, some of the founders and call them deists. What's a deist? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, I'm actually I <laughs> I prepared for this interview, but I didn't look up deist. Oh, um, that's so, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> wing it. Right. Uh, I'm I'm going to wing it, uh, but if you if you think of the main terms are uh, theism, atheism, uh, agnosticism, which mm-hmm. just is the denial of either belief. So you're an agnostic if you if you say I don't believe that there is a god and I don't believe that there isn't a god. Right. Uh, and then there's uh, pantheism, which is a view that was popular, uh, made popular well by among other famous people, Spinoza and Einstein. Um, uh, that view is something like God is in the universe, or the universe is God, or everything in the universe manifests God, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, um, uh, let's see, so I'm just now Googling deism for you. Wait, wait, you're cheating, <laughs> you're cheating, don't do I, that. I am, well, because I didn't look it up earlier. Okay. <laughs> so uh, according to Google, uh, a deist is somebody who believes in the existence of God on the evidence of reason and nature only, with rejection of supernatural revelation. Reason so and nature. Okay. Only, only. So I think the main thing is uh, you believe. You're, if you're a deist, if you um, if you believe in God, in a God who created the world but has since remained indifferent to it, mm-hmm. uh, and you do not rely on revelation or something other than reason and nature or science for that but but how does that do but well, not bad uh then so <laughs> but then then but then reason and nature would would justify a belief in god if you're a deist is that what well you're... i'm uh, to be honest i'm not really sure okay. uh, i'm not i'm not an i i'm not really uh deism is i'm yeah i'm not i'm not sure what to make of that all right I think you'd need to just pin the deists down. What exactly do they believe? And then they would fall into one of the other categories. Mm. Um, okay. What about you? What so, about you? Are you? Where do you fit into all this? Well, this is of course irrelevant. But, of course. <laughs> but as it, as it happens, as, as it happens, completely independently of this gift and this conversation, I am an atheist. Oh, okay. Uh, that's just. As you say, completely independent of all this. What is humanism? Yeah, that's another that's another good question. Uh, so I think humanists, generally speaking, uh, are people who think that um, uh, what's ultimately of value and of uh, resource in the in the universe are us people. So you're a humanist if you think. We get our value from within, so to speak, in virtue of what we are or who we are. 
uh, and not through um, not through any divine source. Mm-hmm. So to make that a little more concrete, uh, in the, in questions of ethics, it's often the case that theistic uh, thinkers, people who believe in God, think that the source of ethical uh, truth or goodness uh, flows from God. And a humanist says, no, that's not true. The humanist says, look, I, whether or not there's a God, um, uh, we think that uh, humans can discover or discern ethical truths uh, by themselves, mm-hmm. perhaps through, the, through reason or science, uh, and that, um, that one doesn't need to be a believer in God in order to either have moral beliefs or do morally good things or be a good person, morally mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. So, so humanists, is, whether or not the humanist denies the existence of God, they generally um, uh, believe that ethics is independent of God. Well, I know in New York City, and in, <clears throat> I don't know about other places, but uh, one of the uh, major cultural institutions and, and philosophical institutions, if not going so far as to call it religious, is the Society for Ethical Culture in New York City. Right. So that sounds, I mean, I don't know this, this organization, but it sounds uh, like a humanist organization. I, I imagine that they would embrace the term humanism to describe who they are and what they do. I think they would, too. Uh, it was actually originally set up by a lot of German um, Jews who came over uh-huh. to this country in, uh, in the mid to late 1800s, especially the late 1800s, who uh, had turned their backs on, uh, you know, on religion, sort of. Right. One of the, one of the most famous uh, attendees, even though he was a child when he was brought there, was uh, Robert Oppenheimer, but that's a whole other ethical and religious <laughs> discussion. So, um, right, right. So, um, in, uh, let me read something else from this, uh, from this article. It says, the percentage of Americans who claim no religious affiliation, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're not religious, it says no religious affiliation, has risen, right. has risen rapidly in a short time to 23% of the population in 2014, up from up 16% from 2007, which is a lot, according to a report by Pew Research Center. Younger people are even less religious, uh, which I mean, I guess that means observant or... But, with 35% of millennials, although I was never quite sure what that is, saying... They identify as atheist, agnostic, or with no religion in particular. So, right. in other words, um, this is uh, happening more and more all the time. And it's turning out to be, uh, right now, close to between a quarter and a third of the entire population who have been... Born. Yeah, well, right. So, I don't know uh, how uh, legitimate those statistics are, right. uh, but certainly that's been the trend, or so it seems... Uh, given, since we started polling people about these things, it certainly seems uh, from that data as if uh, belief in religious or belief in God is um, is fading. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's a good thing, I mean, that's something we could argue about, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that, well, there's lots of people who would argue all sorts of um, positions on that. Um, 
over the weekend, there was something, are you familiar with this? Over the weekend, uh, actually yesterday, there was something called the Reason Rally at the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, do you know what that was all about? Well, uh, uh, not firsthand, but I do know what it, what it is. Um, I wasn't there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but there, uh, I think it's, it's a rally, um, uh, well, basically to make the world safe for non-theists. Um, it's a rally to advocate uh, for um, acceptance of atheism as something that's legitimate, not not proselytizing, not trying to turn everybody into atheists, but mm-hmm. simply trying to make a place for atheists in the world. And that was very much the spirit of this gift. The donor, Louis Apignani, um, you know, his he was was interviewed, but in the, I think it says in that very article you're reading from uh, that part of the motivation for the gift was simply to end what he called end discrimination against atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thought uh, that um, there are certain things, certain ways in which atheists are discriminated against. For example, it's very difficult for them to be elected to public office. Um, there are apparently, if the polls are to be believed, there are people who would uh, not want their children to marry atheists because there's something morally unsavory about atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think the reason that event you just mentioned, the Reason Rally and, and the Apignani gift, uh, are both in the, at least partly in the, it, what what they come down to is um, trying to make atheism kind of acceptable. So it's sort of you know like atheists are no no weirder than left-handed people are. We don't discriminate against left-handed people or redheaded people, even though they're minorities. We ought not to we ought not to uh, discriminate against people who don't believe in God either. Well, I think this thing will change uh, for various reasons, but one reason it'll change is because it's, um, <clears throat> I don't know what the exact, what the perfect word for it would be, but there's a change in generation, and that's why many things change, you know? I mean, that's why you're seeing certain political, cultural, linguistic, all sorts of changes in the culture, and sometimes they just happen. They're like uh, slow but sure changes, sometimes not so slow, by generations. I mean, if you've got this new group of people who uh, don't believe, let's say they're starting to have children, they bring up their children not to believe, or you know, or let's say they don't care what their children do and they don't urge them to believe. This, will, this is a kind of a change. Here's a, a, another quote from you in the article. It says here, there was great reluctance on the part of the university to have an endowed chair with the word atheism in the name. And that was a deal breaker for Lou, Mr. Siegel said. He wasn't going to do it unless the word atheism is in it, and I can understand that. Uh, and it says here, the university had reason to be cautious. Thomas J. LeBlanc, executive vice president and provost, said in an interview, we didn't want, this is a quote, we didn't want anyone to misunderstand and think this was to be an advocacy position for someone who is an atheist. Uh, our religion department isn't taking an advocacy position when it teaches about Catholicism or Islam. Similarly, we're not taking an advocacy position when we teach about atheism or secular ethics. However, what remains is, uh, you know, the knowledge or the understanding that people have been afraid to do this at universities for a long time, certainly in secondary schools, I mean, you know, to say the least. So this fear is just based on a general prejudice in the American public? 
Well, I think uh, the, well, look, first of all, the university is a big, complicated place, and I don't mean, I certainly am not an authorized spokesperson for the university. Okay. Uh, but, but I think that um, it is true that in the 15 or so years uh, uh, since I met the donor, um, uh, there were people in the university uh bureaucratic structure, you know, senior administrators, as we say, um, who uh, who were worried about having to chair with the name atheism in it. They thought perhaps that theistically inclined donors would be offended and would not donate. Uh, they, they, I, I mean, that's probably the most concrete fear. Right. Uh, since since uh, even though universities are not-for-profit institutions, like every other institution, that money drives them, and so it's a big part of what they—a big part of what they do—is raising money to support all the other things they do. Right. Uh, and the senior administration, quite reasonably, uh, didn't want to accept a gift of amount X that would result in uh, multiple X gifts being lost. Right. So, so it took some time, I think, for, well, as you pointed out at the beginning of this question, yeah. uh, it took some time for the university to, uh, to come around to the view that, well, this really isn't so dangerous and it's not, uh, there isn't really any good reason to believe that donors, theistically minded donors will dry up and go away. Of course, we'll have to see. You know, now that the gift is public, uh, we'll have to see what happens. But um, I think some people think actually the opposite will happen, that now sort of the dam has been broken and lots of other people who want to support uh, atheistically oriented causes will start to donate. Whether or not that's true, we'll have to see. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. I mean, it may actually run towards the other direction rather than just uh, yeah. justify people's old fears. Right. I mean, maybe. We'll, I don't think anybody knows. We'll have this as kind of a grand experiment in this respect. Um, could you give me a general idea, or would you know uh, what people are considering teaching? I mean, what what would be taught? The history of atheism? The, first of all, obviously, the meaning of it over time, but the history of it, uh, famous people involved with it, um, what, what generally would be right. taught? Well, okay, so we're going to search for a faculty member in some discipline or other that... Uh, that will uh, that specializes in some dimension of of uh, the study of atheism, mm-hmm. but that of course could be very large. So, um, besides philosophers who write about arguments for and against God's existence and things like that, there are obviously uh, religious uh, students of religion who could study. Well, if you if you'll allow this expression, atheistic doctrine mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to be studied side by side with theistic doctrines of Certainly, particular well, brands of religions. There's nothing about uh, atheism that excludes having a, a doctrinaire approach, right? Well, uh, well, a doctrinaire approach, but it doesn't mean that they can't have doctrines. For example, if you're an atheist, you believe that there is no God. Uh, and so, uh, it, presumably, that would mean that when it comes to matters of public policy, for example, or education, right. uh, you can't uh, you can't um, 
uh, force non-atheistic views uh, upon others, and you can't make public policy decisions based on uh, religious precepts if you are an atheist. So, so uh, I can imagine that there will be a, a range of social scientists who could qualify for this chair mm-hmm. because they study uh, religion or the lack thereof in social processes. So it could be psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, and of course there are some very famous atheists who are biologists, like Richard Dawkins. Right. So um, so we any of those disciplines could ultimately yield the first Apanyani Foundation chairholder. We'll have to see. You know, we'll just have to see who throws their hat in the ring and how the interdisciplinary committee evaluates their candidacies. Um, are you familiar with some of the uh, other organizations that, or rather, I should say other, I mean, with organizations that um, um, that support these points of view about atheism or try to at least uh, encourage people to be fair? Or there's one organization called... Uh, I think it's the Freedom from Religion um, um, Foundation, uh, which was involved in the Reason Rally, that is uh-huh. suing the federal government. Um, it's because you know they they have chaplains that open up uh, you know right. uh, each session of Congress, and I can understand that. I don't like that because I don't right. I don't approve of that. You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. That that's right. So I don't know that that organization in particular, but in in general, there are lots of organizations and particular people like Mr. Rapignani, uh who have contributed money so that um, people cannot be uh, illegally treated on the basis of their atheistic views. So one, so one thing is uh, what you just said, mm-hmm. um, but, but um, the Apanyani has also funded, it's the, I forget what it's, official name is, but something like the Apanyani Legal Center, uh, which defends, uh, for example, students in public schools who assert the right not to say prayers and then uh, are punished by their uh, teachers or principals or what have you. And the Apanyani Legal Center uh, defends their right not to uh, participate. So, so there are all kinds of legal questions, and so I suppose now that I say it, a, a professor of law might also be an Apanyani endowed shareholder. So I think the the idea is any uh, the agreement is written in such a way that the uh, that the shareholder will have a very uh, wide range of topics from which to choose, and it will really depend upon the shareholder himself or herself to. Uh, set the course of uh, the particular teaching and research that he or she does. So it could be social scientific, it could be philosophical, it could be religious, it could be biological. I mean, I I don't want to rule any of that out. It could be uh, lots of different things uh, which either um, uh, well, which don't, don't proselytize for atheism but simply study it as a dynamic phenomenon, both belief-wise and action-wise. Well, it's not inconceivable, is it? I mean, now we're into the realm of really predicting uh, God knows what. <laughs> Excuse me, expression. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something I picked up my whole life, and I, and I often say it. Now, here I am, not 
particularly religious. I don't belong to, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I grew up Jewish, right? Uh, uh-huh. But one side of my family was religious, and the other side came from good old-fashioned socialist atheists from Europe, you know, the kind right. that arrived in New York around the turn of the previous century. So, um, yeah. um, But, it, you know, you grow up in an American culture <clears throat> and grow up the way I did. You know, I'm, I'm often find myself saying, God knows, or whatever it is. We, I was, um, but <clears throat> there could be, it's not impossible for atheists, if they ever achieved a dominant position anywhere, to become um, heavy-handed themselves, right? It's, that's not impossible. Well, I, I, I agree that it's possible. Uh, it's not entirely clear how that would look, what that would look like in practice. Um, there will be no prayer any, at any, all, ever. <laughs> you know. Well, but the, but the well in this country anyway, that would be a very difficult thing to do since nobody regulates what you say when you go to church in the morning. That's uh, true. Nobody nobody tells you that you must or you can't go to church in the, on Sunday morning. Actually, I meant uh, in or, uh, or synagogue. I meant sorry? in. in I, no, I meant in. I'm sorry. I, I meant in a public school. Like for instance, I'm encouraged by by what's happening down there at, at your uh, university, and I hope this kind of thing spreads because. Uh, what we've seen in public schools, really in secondary schools more than anything else, and also in colleges, is is this idea of creationism and quote unquote intelligent design. So it's nice. Right. It's nice to see something like this finally arising. You know. Yeah. Well, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm uh, uh, creationism and intelligent design. Of course, they are controversial, but but I think most practicing biologists think that's just not biology. Uh, and there is a problem that, at least in certain parts of the country, this country, um, uh, people aren't, students are not taught science well because of conflicting religious attitudes or beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is uh, something that the donor, Mr. Apignani, is uh, very, very much wants to fix or wants to help eradicate. Well, so at least students can get good good educations in science. Well, it is very encouraging because, um, you know, to see this, uh, to me, this is progress. It's progressive. Uh, I mean, after all, with this creationism, intelligent design, uh, it's as if we had never moved very far from what happened in Tennessee in 1928 with that famous well, right. trial, you know. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, yeah. well yeah. I don't know if you're, interest, if you're interested, but just... Just by the by, as a piece of gossip. Uh-huh. Uh, so my my most recent book, which was co-authored by the historian of education Adam Latz, is all about the history and philosophy of the uh, of uh, well the, you know, of teaching evolution. The, the problem uh, that arises in education for from creationism and intelligent design. So I'm very much uh, on. I, I am very much in agreement with what you just said, and I don't want to speak for uh, for the donor, but I'm pretty sure he would agree to. What's the title of the book? Uh, the title of the book is Teaching Evolution in a Creation Nation. Huh. That's pretty good. Teaching Evolution. Nice title, huh? That's, yeah, I the like title it. is... Uh, the t- I like it, too. The title is... Uh, but I get no credit for it. My oh. co-author, Adam Latch, he's the one who came up with the title. That's a very familiar uh, name. I guess I've seen yes. some... Yeah. <clears throat> well, he's written a couple of other books about creation is the history of creationism in the public schools. Teaching evolution in a creation nation, and I assume that if you go onto Amazon, that's available, right? 
I mean, yes, it is available. It's published by the University of Chicago Press. Um, hmm. Yeah, it is available. You could get it on Amazon. It's cheap too. <laughs> well, <laughs> that will happen. <laughs> that will happen. Uh, uh, well, maybe sometime. Um, I mean, I can take a look at it or get some ideas about the book, um, and maybe you can come back and uh, we can talk about that subject, too. Sure. That would be my pleasure. Okay. Uh, we've been talking to Professor Harvey Siegel, who is um, in the—he's uh, a professor of um, philosophy in the department, uh, the philosophy department, University of Miami, where they have recently um, received a donation— uh, from a wealthy atheist to endow uh, a chair in, uh, for the study of atheism, humanism, and secular ethics. So if you were thinking of a place to go and that's a subject that you're fascinated by or you want to learn a lot more about, the University of Miami is now... Uh, would this start in the fall, I assume? Well, no. Oh, um, oh, it'll, oh, oh. Well, the search committee, the search committee will be formed this fall. Oh, and if all if all goes well, the chairholder will be in place the following fall. Okay, but the universities are large, complex organizations, and sometimes they're less efficient than they might be. So I don't want to promise that that'll be the date, but it, I would say that's the likely projection is that we'll start searching it this fall, and then. Uh, somebody will be will be in place as the chairholder uh, the following fall. Okay. Well, <clears throat> thanks so much for coming on the show. My my pleasure, Mike. Nice to talk to you. Yep. Same here. Um, okay. Um, we uh, will take a break and then we'll be back. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion, Lord, it's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. Lord, it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old, old time religion. Give me that old time religion, Lord, it's good enough for me. Makes me love everybody Makes me love everybody Makes me love everybody And it's good enough for me Give me that old-time religion Give me that old-time religion Give me that old-time religion Lord, it's good enough for me It will take Catchy tune, right? That's a catchy tune. <laughs> a lot of religious songs are catchy, just like patriotic song. You know, I wish I was in the land. Of, you know, Dixieland. I wish I was in the land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten. Look away, Dixieland. Battle hymn of the Republic. Uh, you know, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Uh, there's not necessarily a connection between the talent and the. Um, 
rousing, uh, you know, musical appeal of um, of patriotic and religious songs and the actual um, existence of reason or even morality in these same songs. A great book, a great movie uh, from a play is Inherit the Wind. Did you ever see Inherit the Wind? You should see Inherit the Wind uh, if you've never seen that movie or watch it again. I intend to watch it again. Um, terrific about <clears throat> uh, uh, fictional but based on uh, reality you know, of the uh, famous uh, trial that Clarence Darrow um, and William Jennings Bryant uh, you know, uh, clashed with each other down in 1928 in Tennessee and now I don't remember the name of the town this is what happens when you get old I don't remember the name of the town in Tennessee but there was a high school teacher um, who wanted to teach evolution in Tennessee in 1928, if you can imagine. And um, he was um, <clears throat> dismissed from his post as a teacher, and lo they locked him up. <laughs> they locked him up for teaching that God did not create the earth in seven days, or that God had maybe um, nothing to do with the creation of the earth. Oh, let me get some water here. <clears throat> my allergies are acting up. Do other people have allergy trouble these days? I do. Um, yeah, so they locked the guy up, and I forget his name now, and the name of the town, what was it? Hillsborough? What was the name of the town in Tennessee in 1928 where they had what was called the monkey trial? <laughs> the monkey trial. Um, and Clarence Darrow went up against, of course, the famous lawyer Clarence Darrow, went up against um, the famous um, statesman and uh, religious almost prophet and preacher Clarence, uh, William Jennings Bryant. And it was uh, a tremendous um, you know, argument and debate that they had. But uh, in the end, um, well, I won't tell you about the end of it. I'll tell you about the end because uh, it'll blow the um, it'll blow the um, movie for you. But uh, it's a terrific movie. And um, then you know I was very depressed. Then people thought they imagined, and maybe this is goes this goes for people who aren't religious, like somebody like me, uh, except for one or two good friends of mine, comes from a place or lives in an area. I live in a certain part of Manhattan uh, and in New York entirely. I come from a place, and I come from um, from a generation of its own, that um, and a group of people <clears throat> who were just unreligious or non-religious or even anti-religious, or even anti-religious. No, I should say even anti-religious, but certainly anti-religious. And we had seen since the 1940s and 50s. Uh, an increase or spread in the amount of people and numbers of people in this country who seemed to think that um, science was more responsible for what we did and who we are and the way the world worked than God was. This was something a lot of us, and I say a certain specific group of people, but a very large specific group of people really believed. And we saw tremendous progress when we were encouraged by this. Then came, you know, uh, rock and roll, Woodstock, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh, which is another, you know, <laughs> another, another, not attack on religion, but another defying, a kind of an open defying of old 
Ten Commandment religious principles and the way a lot of people were brought up when they were children. They just flipped over and, you know, went in the other uh, extreme direction. I also notice and I observe here, based on nothing but my own observations, that a lot of uh, defiance of things like the Vietnam War and, um, and uh, not civil rights, mind you, but a lot of defiance about, um, you know, national patriotic movements like quote-unquote patriotic, the Vietnam War and other wars uh, in, this, um, in this country that uh, had no moral justification and that were uh, anti-human and that were wrong in every possible way, even approaching the word I would use would be evil in what we did and how we, uh, what we were doing there in the first place and how we conducted the war when you read about it. Um, and all these other wars and invasions and behavior of the United States since then, a lot of people, I think this goes along with a lot of people who also uh, are, um, are tired of the whole idea of God. Because, and one of the reasons is because a lot of the justification for these wars was from people who considered themselves to be extremely religious or religious people. And they believed, as originally, uh, you know, a lot of people believe, like the people who... Uh, who were the original colonialists and the imperialists, that they went all over the earth and it was, uh, you know, God's charge to them as white Europeans to take over uh, the lives and the culture and even the very countries of the quote-unquote atheistic uh, savages who had no enlightened understanding of God and Jesus. <laughs> One of the, certainly it's the great excuse in the history of human beings. The great excuse in human history is um, is the just is the use of religion to justify greed, power, murder, lust, and uh, and everything else that's like that, um, and war, right? All these religious wars. God wants us to do this. God wants <clears throat> the Crusaders to go to Jerusalem and free it. From the uh, from the terrible uh, you know unchristian Muslims, and look at the Muslims, right? <laughs> they haven't stopped yet. A lot of them, they haven't stopped yet. They're the they're now the, the main uh, dominating religious force, uh, and people say fringe fundamentalist Muslims. Well, it's a pretty big fringe. They are the large dominant uh, religious force in the world that believes uh, that uh, violence is a way that God wants them to uh, solve uh, the problem of other people not being exactly as religious in the same way they are, to be uh, infidels, non-believers. Infidels, non-believers, it's always changed with whoever's in charge and whoever wants to, uh, you know, take over countries, steal the national wealth of some other country, get slaves, same old crap all the time. And all the Europeans who came to... Uh, Columbus and all these people who, uh, I don't know if he was religious or not, but a lot of people were sent all over the world in the name of God to, uh, to get slaves, to take over territory, to get gold, all of these kinds of things. Uh, okay, thank you very much. Uh, I just had a message from God that told me I have only 15 minutes left. But 15 minutes could be a lot on the radio, right? So anyhow, uh, religion, religion. And a lot of us grew up thinking that linking the idea of phony and false and hypocritical patriotism with religion because God was linked up with it. And then that was reinforced to a lot of our, to our chagrin, 
to a lot of people in my generation's chagrin, mass chagrin, uh, we saw people like George Bush pop up again. George Bush, George W. Bush, the man who holds the record for being the laziest, least hardworking president in the history of the United States. A man who spent less time doing his job and less time at the White House and probably less time even studying or understanding anything about what he was doing. Uh, Now talk about immorality. You don't need God or the Ten Commandments to point out that the leader of a country, a man in charge of nuclear uh, launch codes, a man who was in charge of vast military power, which could result, and in fact finally did result, in two giant wars, which have resulted in destabilization of a good third of the world and uh, have resulted in the uh, creation of, or partially resulted in the creation of millions of refugees and people who are in extreme poverty who are starving, the deaths of uh, probably over a million people and the destruction of of God knows (laughs) how many lives how many lives, right? All justified by this little, you know, cracker son of a bitch who declared himself um, a believing religious Christian and who, if he could have gotten away with it, would have called and did until he was here. Remember he used to, George Bush used the word crusade until even his own people landed on him with both feet and told him, you can't say that word. Why couldn't he say that word? Because it's what he believed. Well, because uh, most of the rest of the enlightened world, um, let's say in the West, and most of the enlightened people in this country um, have uh, an abhorrence of using terms and of, uh, of, of thinking that way. After all, many of the people, though they were very religious, who came to this country in the first place to settle it and to also incidentally steal it from the people who were here originally, Many of these people, um, you know, were religious in their own right. But uh, uh, the idea of a crusade, of a crusade, because and that's how ignorant George Bush was, and I suppose remains. I mean, why should he have gotten any less ignorant as he gets older? Uh, yeah, I know. He paints really interesting little paintings. Okay, that's about it. Meanwhile, here's a guy who is almost personally responsible, along with Cheney and Runs, Runs what's his name, Runsvelt? Runstead von Runs, Donald von Runstead, you know, who was responsible for all of the this of this mass murder and uh, destroying all these places. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's going on in Syria now and Libya and other places um, can be traced partially to the behavior of the United States in poking its nose into places uh, where it doesn't belong. And so Bush pops up and he's, uh, you know, he declares himself religious. And then you get the religious right uh, being cultivated by the Republican Party. And then you get the Republican Party itself uh, with some of its major leaders at least professing, professing to be religious and to be very, you know, and in all this, when I was when I was a kid, I don't remember if this is true or not. And then I was growing in my young adulthood in my 30s and 40s. I don't remember every politician, including people who probably don't even believe in God, um, saying "God bless America" at the end of every speech or campaign speech or acceptance speech <clears throat> or major address to the country at large. 
Do, do you recall that? I mean, maybe you remember this or not. I, I don't recall it, but maybe they did, and I wasn't paying attention, or I just took it for granted, because in America, God was such a big presence all the time. Um, when we went to school, when I was going to high school, we had to say the, um, you know, uh, I pledge allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I don't know how long that had been going on either, but a lot of stuff started in the 50s, um, and then finally boiled to the top in the, uh, in the 80s. But this stuff, when you know, go back to the 50s, because people were afraid, I guess it goes back before that, with the communists and the Communist Party who were um, militant, a- anti, uh, militant atheists, militant atheists, uh, you know, the, uh, the Soviets, and then later Mao in China, militant anti-religionists, uh, militant atheists, who hated religion, who uh, quite rightfully uh, linked religion and the oppression of their people and the oppression of people in general um, uh, with, with uh, religion, with especially with organized religion and with missionary work. Because, uh, you know, along with missionary work often came and almost inevitably came uh, the arrival of soldiers and governors, and uh, that was the end of any freedom, uh, even literal freedom, for, for uh, millions of people in this world. So am I rambling here? I guess I'm rambling. Meanwhile, we were very depressed, a lot of us, to see uh, the blossoming of this far right, um, the rise of the far right, in basically in the 80s. And I guess, like I say, one of the roots of it was this anti-communism, which was basically a patri- uh, quote-unquote patriotic movement. People like um, um, <clears throat> McCarthy, you know, and everybody who started opposing the communists in the 1950s and holding all these trials and throwing people out of jobs, especially, interestingly enough, professors at universities. A lot of them lost their jobs, um, and uh, their lives were miserable after that. People in Hollywood, you know, were blacklisted, people all over the place who were suspected of being communists. And this was mostly um, political. But of course it had its roots, since in America uh, religion was always such a big thing, and religion too. But then it became finally very religious in the, um, in, the 19, in the 1980s and since then. And it so distorted, at least the Republican Party, it so distorted the Republican Party that they be, it became a kind of a Frankenstein monster they couldn't control. And you get a guy like Donald Trump finally. When did you think I was ever going to talk for this long without mentioning Trump these days, right? You get a guy like uh, soon-to-be President Trump, just say that to, you know, make everybody feel bad so that maybe people will wake up. <laughs> Possibly President Trump, you know, he, I doubt that that man has even an, one tiny iota of religious belief in, in him. He doesn't believe in religion. He believes in Donald Trump. He believes in money. He believes in greed and power. He believes in whatever he thinks at the moment and uh, whatever he spews out of his mouth, like something that you know didn't agree with his stomach and he had to get rid of. Um, Trump is not a religious man. He probably has contempt for people who are religious. I mean, what has religion got to do with making money? And, uh, and showing off in the Miss Universe contest or whatever it was he finally sold to somebody. What's it got to do with Trump University where he rips people off? But what happened was this. Uh, because the Republican Party, a lot of them, a lot of whom knew better, uh, cultivated 
these bigots and these ignorant people, these creationists and intelligent designers, and, uh, and they got elected, a lot of them, uh, from a lot of states where people believe in this stuff. Um, they created a kind of a, a group, they created a huge demographic base of millions and millions and millions of voters who, um, who are the lowest common denominator. I mean, you link that with, uh, with uh, you know, with, uh, with an attitude that America is, uh, you know, the greatest country that ever was, and it's the greatest country in the world today. This kind of crazy, uh, you know, nutty, out of control patriotism, if you want to use that word. And you link that up with, uh, you know, the, the justification of Christianity being the, uh, and the American Christianity being the, the most important, uh, you know, force in the world, that God meant us to be the dominant force in the world. And what you get is Donald Trump's voters. And the joke on them is that he couldn't care less about religion. This man couldn't care less about religion. When he says he wants to forbid the Muslims from coming to the United States, it's not religious, but he knows it appeals to the, uh, the cement-headed religion, uh, Christianity, of, his, of the followers of the demographic of the Republican base. Trump is the creation of the Republican Party, and he is also the creation of American culture. He is the final symbol in the flesh of the stupidity and the superficiality and the venal hypocrisy of, of, uh, of politicians and of producers of movies and television shows and everything else, whether or not they did it on purpose. Trump is uh, a holograph um, being sent up from hell that was created by American culture and politics. And if he gets elected or not, who knows? But um, we'll see. Meanwhile, that's about all. I think I'm running out of voice here, and I'm sure some of you are very happy. You want to get in touch with me? First, after you get a letter from your mother, a note from your mother. And secondly, you can go to Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com to contact me and get on my mailing list. Join my mailing list because I'm sending out more and more things all the time. Uh, not all of them speeches and long rants like this. Guess that's about it for this week. I'll, we'll see you next week.